passed away earlier this year. Uh, Brother Carico was an evangelist. God saved him out of the bar room. He, bar room pianist, like Mickey Gilly. Uh, he had that that style with his music. Mickey Gilly on the piano and Jerry Lee Lewis on the piano. And but the problem is, is that same heavy piano is the way he plays it in church too. <laughs> Brother, uh, he played, he was playing at Island Ford one time, and, and we have a baby grand piano there. And through the years, the, the, um, the lid has either been all the way down or just a little bit up on the post. You have different levels you can raise it. And uh, Brother Carico was playing one day, and it was just... When, when the piano repairman come, <laughs> the piano repairman said the, the tension that's on the strings, and it was just his, the pedal and his, his, the way he hit it just at the right time, and the tension that was there, boing, one of those, one of those uh, strings come out of the piano uh, while we was in church, while he was playing. So that was different, but anyway, but... Uh, who appreciate your care goes anyway. Said all that. Say this. They sang a song called "He Could Have Walked On By," <laughs> but he stopped, and and he had already passed by blind Bartimaeus, but he cried out. <laughs> and the disciples, which brother Glenn was talking about the flesh, the disciples were like, don't bother him. Just, but he cried out all the more, and and Jesus stopped and bid him come. And uh, I'm glad that he stopped on that Sunday morning, May of 1981. And you guys have the time that he stopped. He walked by your way, and then he stopped and he bid you come. Now the key is to come when he bids. That's the key. And uh, so anyway, Psalm 39 this morning, Psalm 39, we're going to be in a lot of different scripture. To be honest, I was choked to death with emails this past week concerning what June is to this worldly crowd. It's a sad mixture that when it enters into the military and have their own office of inclusion. I heard a commentator say, and he was right, used to, Brother Glenn understands this, and those served in the military understands this, they took your identity away from you. When I showed up... You know, the way you dress outside, you know, outside of church, should be inside of church. The way you dress says something about you. Just your style, if you want to put it that way, your preferences. And like I said, I, I'd wear overalls. I wore overalls when, <laughs> you know, I didn't. 
that was not a thing where I grew up necessarily. I just like them. So even as, you know, probably started wearing them somewhere around early high school when I'd wear overalls. People that knew me, they seen, you know, and, you know, they so see me in a pair of overalls and a ball cap with that brim just, you know, good and tight. <laughs> Get a ball cap and it's flat. The first thing I do is roll that, roll that brim. Get it good and cupped. You know, you see the people that put the, the fishing hook on there. You know, of course, we were the Maryville Rebels. That was our mascot in high school. So the Confederate flag was a part of our stuff. But when I was in Sicily, I wore my overalls, my Tennessee ball cap, big T. They, start, they called me Tennessee because I had Tennessee orange and my overalls on. That was just what I become known as because of the way I dressed. I showed up to basic training in a pair of overalls. That was me. Thankfully, they picked on somebody else that night when the TIs got us. But other people showed up the way that they dressed from their community, from their background. And well, the first thing that they did to all of us is they took our individuality away from us. They made us all wear the same uniform. They gave us all the same haircut, which was no hair at all. Because that's another thing, your hair. And their hairstyle, that's an individual thing. You know, back in the day, parted it down the middle and feathered it back. I tried to feather it back. I had a cowlick on one side. But that was an individual thing. They took your identity away from you. The reason they do that is to make you a cohesive unit. Because when individuality comes into the cohesion or to the unit, then it breaks down the unit. And now that that's exactly what they're doing. Everybody can be proud of what they are. But it's a breakdown in the military. And that's what this common common uh, tater was was discussing and how it's crept into the military and everybody's their own thing and so on and so forth and it's breaking down our military and it's weakened us as our military. I'm going to hit a little bit of this. That's kind of what got me started, but then things have kind of changed in a different direction. But it'll be included, let's put it that way. But it just saddens me, and it just makes me sick to my stomach that that's where we're at. I wanted to put, if we wasn't going, if we wasn't going away this week, I put pride goeth before destruction and the Holy Spirit before a fall out on the sign. It's the Bible. But that's exactly what their pride is going to lead them to. Destruction and a fall. Psalm 39, verse number 1. I'm in, I'm in the wrong. I turned to pop. Psalm 29. Psalm 39. I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. I was dumb with silence. I held my peace, even from good, and my sorrow was stirred. My heart 
was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. Then spake I with my tongue, Lord, make me to know mine end. And the measure of my days, what is it? That I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Selah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, stand today before you in need of your help that God grieved that this world around us is as wicked as it is. I stand also grieved that I've had children introduced to things that we've kept them, tried to keep from them for many years. Nor there's children in the church before me today that hear it in society, hear it in the public schools, see it on the media, the television. God, unless you do something in their hearts. I pray and ask that you're guiding and directing the services today. Move on hearts and lives, save sinners, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah 64, hold your place there. And this passage of Scripture is very similar in Isaiah chapter 64. The first passage here was the psalmist David. This here is written at the hand of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 64 verse number 1, Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens that thou wouldest come down, that, thou, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence, as when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. And this is, and I understand those, that's, that sentiment, especially in my position we, we study, we preach, we witness. And you're like, Lord, make them see. Help them to see who you are. Help them to see who they are. Help them to see the end is near. Help them to see what the end will be. Frustrated prophet Isaiah seeing the sinfulness of the children of Israel with this same type of a sentiment, oh, that thou wast rend heavens. If you'll do something great, Lord, they'll understand. If you'll come down with fire. And so there's a frustration in, in, in Isaiah with the wickedness of the children of Israel. When thou didst when thou didst terrible things, when, when we look not for, thou camest down, the mountains flowed down at thy presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, 
Neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. On the other side of it, John chapter 14 was mentioned today. We have a mansion. It was mentioned in the Sunday school uh, in the devotion. We have a mansion waiting for us. Help them to see what's waiting for those that, that believe. Surely if they see that there's mansions in, you know, in heaven for them, if they, if they understand and know that we're going to be walking on the street of gold and, and we're going to be enjoying thy glory and thy presence for an eternity, surely that would bring them to Christ. Help them to see that. If you don't see the destruction, help them to see the glory. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness. Those that remember thee in thy ways, behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned. In those is continuance, and we shall be saved. But we are all as, as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Go ahead and get seven. And there is none that calleth upon thy name, that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us, and hast consumed us because of our iniquity. Let's keep on reading. We'll just read the whole thing. But thou, but now, O Lord, thou art the Father, thou art our Father. We are the clay, and thou art our potter, and we are the work of thy hand. Be not wroth, very sore, O Lord, neither remember iniquity forever. Behold, see, we beseech thee, we are all thy people. Thy holy cities are a wilderness, Zion is a wilderness, Jerusalem is a, desola- Jerusalem a desolation. Our holy and our beautiful house where our, where our fathers praise thee is burnt up with fire and all our pleasant things are laid waste. Wilt thou refrain thyself for these things, O Lord? Wilt thou hold thy peace and afflict us very sore? And then Brother Glenn has been in Romans. And just a reminder, we're going to go back to, to Psalm 39 momentarily, but Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God, which is what Isaiah just said. We're not looking for you. We're not, we're not, let's see, where was it at there? That that verse number seven. And there is none that calleth upon thy name and stirreth himself up to take hold of thee. Isaiah, I mean, yeah, Isaiah had pronounced the same thing that Paul is here in Romans. We're not looking for God. The world is not looking for God. The world is saying within yourself, within your own strength, 
You can become what you want to become. Even change what God has made you. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are altogether become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Turn back to Psalm 39 here. Again, the psalmist David, as he's writing this, he said he wasn't going to talk. He was going to hold his tongue with a bridle. But within him, there was a fire burning while he mused, while he thought upon things. And then when he did talk, he talked to the Lord. Make me to know mine end. And the measure of my days, what is it that I may know how frail I am? The best state of man. And where I got that was there in verse number 5. Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth, and mine ages as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. It's empty. Notice the, as I was reading the commentary on this, I was reading Spurgeon, I believe, you know, it had been talked about, you know, even speculated, and apparently somewhere along the way this was so when it comes to building things until standardized yardsticks or standardized measure, measuring tools come to be, then people, and it's fine if you're the, the one, if you're the single builder, <laughs> of a project, you know, just like my grandmother making certain of her certain of her recipes. She didn't use a measuring cup, she used her hand. You know, a pinch, literally. You put some salt in your hand and you pinch it, and that was a pinch of salt. Which might have been an eighth of a teaspoon if you actually measured it out. But she didn't measure it out, so she used her hand for her measurements. She used little things like that, you know. <laughs> Two scoops of flour, a pinch of salt. So the same when it comes to men, the cubit is talked about being approximately 18 inches, but at the time the cubit was the, from the tip of your middle finger to your elbow. And so if I'm the single builder of a project, I could use things because every time that I measured that much out, I would measure this thing out. And when it talked about the breadth of a hand... Our lives are four fingers. And then the commentator, I love how men that, I like words, I'm just not very eloquent at speaking some of the words. But those that can put words together, I love the way they, they flow and I love to, 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 to a good writer how, how that they, do, they do that. And one of the way that he put it was, talking about the brevity of our life and just how short our life is. Ecclesiastes talks about our life being a vapor. And next time you watch water boil on a stove and you see the vapor come from the, 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 the surface of the liquid to when it disappears, that's our life. 
in comparison to eternity. The, the commentator about this said, the, our life is less than one click of the second hand on the clock. A lot of us have clocks in our homes that have a, a good loud tick or a talk. And when, when things are quiet around the house, we've turned off the radio, we've turned off the television, it, it, things are just quiet. You go into people's homes and that's what you hear is tick, talk, tick. And we get so used to it that we don't really hear it. But sometimes you do pay attention and you can hear the clock in the background. But I got a clock finally, well, we haven't used it, but it was a clock that I'd gotten my grandmother when I was in Sicily, made out of marble. And we pulled it out in our move, and I looked at it, and and uh, I think some an old battery had been in it, but I was able to clean it up a little bit and put a battery in it, and it worked. And I was sitting there in the quiet of the home, and I could hear it on the on the. I said, "What's it? Oh, that's that clock." But our life is less than one click of a second in comparison to eternity. It's vanity, the psalmist says. Our life is vanity. There is none good that no, not one. None of us seek after God. The Calvinists have tainted. And if you preach on the depravity of man, you even mention the word depravity, then you're labeled... But the Bible is clear that we are depraved. None of us seek after God. There's none good. No, not one. The Bible there in Romans chapter 3 actually states that twice. And, and I was thinking as I, you know, I'm probably one of those thoughts in the night that until you understand that you're in darkness, you have no need of the light. It's just that so many of us don't understand that we're in darkness. You're fine groping around. It's it's interesting. Once you once you there is a thing called muscle memory. And and you understand it. No, and the blind men. And women understand this. Ronnie Millsap, a blind country music artist, when he would go to his concerts, he would, prior to the concert, have a starting place and and have somebody lead him. And And that way, when the concert happened... Then he would, before the concert, he would practice with somebody leading him. All right, we're going to go to the piano. So they would count, he would count the steps where the piano was, and then he would touch the piano so he would know where he was at in relation to the stage. <laughs> then from there, he knew there were so many steps that he could take to the edge of the stage. And so when the concert happened, being unguided, they would start him off in the right same spot. Then he could walk out by himself unassisted to the edge of the piano. And he knew where the piano was. 
And he would, could step forward to the edge of the stage and address the audience, although he could see wherever he was at. He couldn't see the audience. He couldn't see the edge of the stage. But he had practiced that. And he was comfortable in that. When I first moved over here, I needed a lot to move around in the dark. But now we've positioned our furniture. I know where things are at. It messed me up when we, when we put in the, um, the, uh, the little curio we brought back from Kentucky with us. And we had kind of adjusted there. I was making a turn too quick and turn, walked into the back of the, the rocking chair. And I'm like, oh, yeah, because we had changed that. But before that, I had an understanding can move through my house at night now. And that's where... A lost sinner is. That's where the lost man is. They have gotten so used to the dark that they don't think that they need a light. They're moving around in this wicked world and they're able to maneuver, but they're in darkness. Speaking of Ronnie Millsap, he made a joke. He said, have you ever had... Had sight, he says, he goes, I saw stars once. He goes, when I walked off the edge of the stage in, in Goldsboro, North Carolina. So that was a joke. But that, he need, you know, we, 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 he is so used to his blindness. He wouldn't know what light was. And that's what happens with the lawman. We are blind. Like, like John Newton said, let's get a, a spiritual writer. I once was blind, but now I see. But we've got to realize that we're blind. We've got to realize that we're in darkness. And that's what the Word of God is for. Isaiah describes our, our state as our righteousness as filthy rags. The psalmist here in verse number 5 said our, our best state is altogether vanity. There is none good. No, not one. Ezekiel chapter 16, again he's writing to the children of Israel, the major prophets. Ezekiel 16, verse number 48. Let's back up. Um, Verse 43. Uh, Let's see here. (laughs) There's so much here. 43, well... Forty-four. Behold, every one that useth proverbs shall use this proverb against thee, saying, "As is the mother, so is her daughter." There's a lot of truth in that by itself, out of context. But in the context here, thou art thy mother's daughter that loatheth her husband and her children. And thou art the sister of thy sisters, which loathe their husbands, 
and their children, your mother was an Hittite, and your father an Amorite. And thine elder sister is Samaria. She and her daughters that dwell at thy left hand, and thy younger sister that dwelleth at thy right hand is Sodom and her daughters. Yet hast thou not walked after their ways, nor done after their abominations, but as, it, as if that were a very little thing, thou wast corrupted more than they in all their ways. As I live, saith the Lord God, Sodom thy sister hath not done, she nor her daughters as thou hast done, thou and thy daughters. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Note the first of the iniquities. Pride. Fullness of bread and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy, and they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore I took them away as I saw good. It pains me. In the conversation I was in last night, actually, that just reminded that before us are young people that they're not homeschooled. The things that they see on the internet in kids' programming nowadays, on television, non-kids' programming, if it's, if it's on in your house. What kills, what, what aggravates me also is Programs, and I see, and most people just watch it blindly, but when you see some of these series, how that they will take and, and they take a side to what society wants to promote. You see it in the political realm, and, they, and Hollywood will take what Washington wants to promote, and they... they they, they write stories around their characters and around their storylines, and it's exactly what did you hear. It's all, it's all planned. It's all programmed. It's all of the devil. Same-sex couples in these programs. And they present it to you as, oh, it's just normal. It's not normal. This is against it. God said in the book of Genesis that he made man in his own image and he made them male and female. So God created man in his own image and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. That's the way God created them. Then he told male and female to go and reproduce. And that's the way we got the number of people in the world because that's God's way. 
And to get anything outside of that is against God. And it's against the Word of God. And then you think about not just Sodom here and God destroying Sodom with with fire and brimstone out of heaven. I like how he put it there, and I read this actually (laughs) out loud in the office the other day. And I got one of those, hmm. (laughs) So that's what God said kind of sort of responses. Because the person that I was reading it to was just as sick with what was being crammed down our throats on the emails as I was. But when he said there in verse number 48, I took them away as I saw good. Pride. And we've, we mentioned it a moment ago, Proverbs chapter 16, which is... Pride goeth before a fall. Verse number 18. I'm sorry. Pride goeth before destruction. I always get that mixed up. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And where we were at there in Ezekiel, when he talked about what was in their sister Sodom, pride being the first in the list, but haughtiness was there in the list as well. And he talked about their abominations. And let's see here. Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness was in her, And in her daughters, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. Wickedness. And it was amazing that Brother Chris mentioned Lot. And I, I look at my children that's been tainted with higher education. And what's taught in the institutions of higher education, and I'm not against education, but when our higher education institutions and the ones, especially the ones that started on the premise of training men to be preachers, those Ivy League schools started out that way. But to get into one of those Ivy League schools and tenured professors where they can't fire them and they're putting just worldly junk in our, our young people and, and, and they're in their minds making them question God and the things of God. And then not only to that point, the, the way that the society... when when Brother Glenn mentioned how the devil will work in a person's mind, how that people seem to have this younger, the younger generation, especially my children's age and younger, there is a, a thing going on right now in, in, in that realm that 
makes them have to be lifted up all the time and makes them be reassured all the time that they're doing good. Oh, you done so, you know that participation trophy mindset. Everybody did so good. Let's give everybody a trophy. Everybody did so good. Let's give everybody a certificate. You know, the arm of flesh will fail you, the Bible tells us, and there are failures. We learn from our mistakes. We learn from our failures. But if everybody don't ever fail anymore, everybody's always good. We teach our kids that they're good. No, they're not good. I held my grandson there in Knoxville, Tennessee, and as I held him, I told him he was a sinner. He was a week old, two weeks old. And I said, you're a sinner. You would tell your grandson? Well, yeah, that's the truth. You need to be saved. There's none good, no, not one. He was born a sinner. He come out of his mother's womb lying. That's the Bible. You little liar. You would call your little grandbaby a liar. Guess what the Bible says he is? His righteousness is as filthy rags, just like yours is. We have gotten so far away. I mean, I know that the Sunday school lesson was about saved and the battle of the flesh that we deal with still as a child of God, but we've gotten so far away from the truth preached in so-called houses of worship this morning. You go down there and, you know, like the one that was here a few weeks ago, we don't have Sunday school at my church. Where do you go? I go down here to the Life Church. No, they don't have. They have all this feel-good music. Everybody stand up, raise your hands, and we're going to sing the songs on the screen here, the, the seven words. We're going to sing it 11 times, 7-11 music. And everybody leaves feeling good. There's a, there's a couple that I keep seeing. She puts these videos out. A couple that I know that used to worship in the house of God with me. And to see them now, they go to one of those churches. She, puts, she was posting some bab, ba, baptisms. And I'm like, what are you baptizing? It was just baptism, renewal. Like, all this just to make people feel better. Oh, we're going to get together. That couple that come and visited me, you know, that I used to be in the Air Force with, they had recently gone through this little baptismal service. Just again, this renewal of their marriage and renewal of, and it was just to make them feel good. And people will go to the house of God on a Sunday morning after being in the barroom on Saturday night just to make their conscience feel a little bit better. Well, I, I tip my hat to God. I, I went to church this week, and, and, and some of my family thanking God and using scriptures and then, then saying, and then we went over to this restaurant and celebrated with booze in the same statement. How do you do that? 
whenever I used to hear Brother Hall and other men, Brother Williamson, that age of men, as I was coming up, the young preacher, and they would get in the pulpit and they would just say, I'm mad at sin or I'm mad at the devil. I didn't really get a hold of that until today. <laughs> and I'm thinking, if, if, something don't if something don't happen because of the society is the way society is and, and, and that, that pride bunch you know, is saying, you know, let's all get together and you can be what, but they don't want you to be what you can be. They want you to be what they want to be. All under the guise of acceptance. The Bible doesn't accept that. He said, I done what I seen that was good. I took them away as I saw good. He, he, he put fire and brimstone on that crowd. That same loving God, yes, that same loving God because of their abomination and their wickedness. And he's telling Israel here as a warning. Look, you're, you're a whole lot like your sisters. And the reason he's talking about the sisters is, you know, is the way that, you know, the, the, the Hittite and Amorite, I mean, Am Abraham was called out of them and God made this nation of Abraham's seed, but Abraham had relatives that these others come out of, sisters to Israel, basically, is the way he was putting it. And he goes, look, you're headed down that road, Israel. And if you keep on going down this road, you're going to be like Sodom, your sister. And it's all through the Old Testament, they would, they would head down and they would do this... These imaginations. Let's go ahead and get that imagination while we're here. Genesis chapter 6. And, and I thought this too as I was looking at this. As we read and I've taught through Genesis or was teaching through Genesis before I moved here. When I did the men's Sunday school. I'd gotten beyond the Tower of Babel. But up through the flood... In Genesis 6, verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's where man left to himself becomes. There is such confusion in this world that says a man can become a woman and a woman become a man. That's wicked. That's confusion. That's against God. That a man can have, but that's not, man can't have babies. That's against God. It's against nature. You say, well, you shouldn't be saying that in front of our kids. They hear it out there. They see it out there. It's in their living rooms. And I'm declaring them the truth of the word of God. So when they are presented with it, I'm, I'm thankful that some of the little kids come out from the Sunday school. I heard 
I heard Jesus is God. Praise the Lord for that. Hallelujah, they're listening. So, and if they'll get it in their hearts when they're young, God might spare them the junk that's out there if they'll come to Christ as a young age. Because there are others, they're, they're, they're torn and they're asking questions. And I'm glad that they're asking questions, but we've got to give them the right answer according to the Word of God. Because they're seeing and they're hearing so much other junk outside these four walls. I can't go home with them. They're not in my home. I'm not raising them. But I can be what I can be to them when they're here. I can give them the truth while they're here. I can pray for them at home. But we're going to have to get a burden. See all these little kids running around. I thank the Lord for... Some of the churches and some of the ways that people are, you know, realizing being, a, and not everybody's got the ability to homeschool. I understand that. But we're going to have to go above and beyond to pull out the junk what they get at public school. Public libraries. Having those stories. I know you've heard about it. I won't go in. I won't even say the word. Having those story time hours. Wicked. What's wicked is the parents that set them in front of it. Just, just to get them out of their hair for the long for that book. Why would you do that, parent? Whew. But then we won't take them to the library and let them sit in front of one of those abominations while they listen to a book, but then we'll... We'll do the same thing. We'll flip on the television and say, here, you go in there and watch this. It's just a cartoon. It's Disney. Disney's coming out with characters, storyline. It's Disney. It'll be all right. And then you get to watching and all these little, what do they call them, little things that's hidden into the movies. And, and we just talked about you don't know how much that they're listening when you don't think that they're listening. But they're there. And what, you know, you just sit them there and say, oh, they don't understand that. But it's getting in there. I remember a couple of, uh, of and my stepmother later on when I was an adult, and then as an adult would look back at some of those old stuff, I'm going, that was in there? And my stepmother says, yeah, we used to let you, you know, we just would go ahead and watch it, and, and we figured you guys wasn't, and we didn't. A lot of it went over our head, these little innuendos and things that was in a couple of those late, uh, late 70s, late night programming. You know, back then, <laughs> some of the innuendos and some of the things were not supposed to be aired before 9 o'clock because at 9 o'clock the kid's supposed to be in the bed. But for those as we got a little bit bigger can stay up past 9 o'clock or whatever. Parents, you didn't understand it, but now you look back at it and you're like, whoa, that's wicked. It was wicked then, it's wicked now. 
But the imagination of the heart, of, of the thoughts and of his heart were only evil continually. That is where man is. What gets me is where I was going to is, that, is Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, but Noah's daddy and his daddy and his daddy and his daddy, all the way back to Adam, there was a line there. And, and when you read the genealogies, and this used to come to my mind, I guess I got it in my heart even after teaching through it, I knew that there was a bloodline of righteous men that taught at least one of their children because whenever you read their, their genealogies about each and every one of those, uh, just, oh, here it is in, in the beginning of five. Um, let's just pick up. Seth lived in 105 years and began Enos. And Seth be, uh, lived after he begat Enos 807 years and begat sons and daughters. But guess what? Out of all those sons and daughters you can have in 800 years, that's a bunch. Yeah. Only one followed daddy. What? And Enos lived 99 years and begat Canaan. And Enos lived after he begat Canaan 815 years and begat sons and daughters. And then he died. Canaan, only one that followed out of all his sons and daughters. And then Mahaliel, and then Jared, and then Enoch, and Methuselah, and then Lamech, and then Noah. And every single one of them lived hundreds of years begetting sons and daughters. But out of all of their sons and daughters, one followed after God in that whole lineage. And Lamech lived after he begat Noah 590 years and begat sons and daughters. But Noah... One, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And Noah had three boys. And Noah, his three sons, and their, all their wives got on the ark. Amen. Noah prepared the ark for the saving of his family. God, help us. Help us to get a hold of that. I've got seven children. And I, and I, and I look at that. And of my seven, I'm thinking, okay. I could ask all seven of them. They said, yeah, they're going to heaven. But I look at their lives, and I'd say four of the seven, maybe five of the seven, hopefully five of the seven. Some are following right after all that they was brought up in, and others are not. And it's a sad, sad account that I've tried to build an ark for mine, but not every one of them's getting on. You see, why would you talk, why, Brother Bell? Why would you talk to about your children like that? Because it's the truth. Not everyone's getting on. Out of all of that lineage there, and several of these men were still alive up until right before the flood, as Noah was building the ark. A lot of these men, fathers, grandfathers, etc., were alive because they lived hundreds of years. 
I've got a chart right there. It really, it really kind of helps you focus on, wow, really? Up into right before the flood. So Noah had brothers and sisters. We think about all of the other world. But Noah had brothers and sisters watching him build this ark that died in the flood. And that breaks my heart. Especially when the flesh will rise up and say, just let them go. They didn't listen to you last time. They're not going to listen to you this time. When the flesh says, it's raining out. (laughs) When the flesh says, it's awful hot. When the flesh says, what will they think of you? It's all brought out this morning. God help us. And help them to understand their state without God is vanity. And let's pick it up in, and we'll be done here. I mean, it'll go quick quick from now on. I just got, I don't know where all that, a lot of that come from. Proverbs 29. In this one verse, we see the transition. If you look up pride, pride is never positive, ever. He hates a proud look. God does. And that's the first of that list. Proverbs 29, verse 23. A man's pride shall bring him low. But honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. The opposite of pride is humility. And I've said one of my besetting sins, less the older I get than it was when I was my in my youth. But that proud look. But we see humility there. And let's turn now to James chapter 4. We've dealt with this in the past. We'll just tie it in right here with this one. And then we'll go to Peter, James 4, verse 1. From whence comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? He talked about that lust warring in our members as to save people, but... It's the same thing with the loss. We talked about the LSD in the Word of God. We've preached that. Lust bringeth forth sin, and sin bringeth forth death. The wages of sin is death. We see that right here. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have. Ye cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your own lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with God, I'm sorry, know ye not that the friendship with the world of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Do, you, do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth the envy? But he giveth more grace, 
Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. So as we talk about the pride, and we want to see the pride of life in a moment, the pride that's within man, the vanity of man, man saying, I'm okay, I'm, I'm doing good, I can do it in my own strength, I don't need God. At, like they did at the cross, they just wagged their heads. I don't need Christ. I'll get to heaven by my own merit. I'll get to heaven in my own strength. I'll go to heaven my, by my own good. It will out, outweigh my bad. I'm a good guy. I pay my bills. I do right. I'm better than Sodom. They, the Sodom we just read, they didn't even give to the poor, the oppressed. I at least do that. I give to the Red Cross like Brother Glenn uses in his illustrations. I give to charity. I put some money in the offering plate. That's not going to get you to heaven. Your righteousness, which is what that is, the Bible read, we read in Isaiah 64, is as filthy rags. Unclean. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5. I understand the context of the scripture. He's dealing with the elders and the younger men. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves to the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, unto the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Look, if you're going to get a, a mansion in heaven, it's got to be in Christ. You know, I, I don't have it here. Uh, let's turn to Philippians chapter 3. I don't know if this is where I was going to go, but it was also in Philippians. I think it's in 4. But I thought about this. Might be right here. Yeah. In Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. People will pull that out. It's having to do with giving, by the way, in that, in that passage of Scripture. But people pull that out and do a little cross stitch and hang it on your wall and put it a pillow on your whatever. And it's good. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. But if, if, you're, going to get, if you're going to obtain that mansion in heaven, if you're going to walk on the street of gold, if you're going to do anything, it's through Christ. If you're going to obtain salvation, it's through Christ. You can't do it any other way. It's all got to be through Christ. God won't accept anything else. The blood of bulls and goats, that's done away with, we read there in, in Hebrews. The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John, John the Baptist declared, Jesus Christ. He said, behold, he's the one. He's the one that I am a forerunner to. He's the one that I am coming out to declare unto you. And if you're going to go to heaven, it's through him. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Back up. 
Let this mind be in you. No, I'm in the wrong one. Seven. There were three. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Again, here's his pedigree. Verse number four. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul talking. He was a religious man. He was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. He was a Jew. He kept the law. But that's dumb. Loss. Vanity. Verse 4. I, I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, an Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. You could not look at Saul at the time and find anything that he was doing wrong. You couldn't. You would say, oh, Saul there, if anybody's going to heaven, Saul's going to heaven. But he wasn't. But what things I were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Well, he was talking about in his devotions there in their living room. If you'll lose your life, you'll find it. Same principle here in that verse. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. We've got to get to the place, lost folks, that we realize that we are absolutely nothing without God, without Christ. Our lives, no matter how prosperous we might be, no matter how educated we might get, no matter how much money that we might make, and that's all obtainable, All of it's vanity. When your life, and you might live 90 years, when you get to heaven in eternity and you realize that the 90 years on this earth was just a click, less than a click of a second on the clock. On the clock. 70 years, and then everything beyond that's grace according to the word of God. But it's still yet, and compared to eternity, that vapor, just watch it, and it's just gone. And that's our life. And we're not going to get to heaven and say, God, but I was an educated person, God. I was a leader at the church, God. I was good, you know, a good a family man. I was this, I was that. I helped my neighbor. That's done. Unless you count it dung here on this earth, unless you realize that everything that you can do and everything that you have is just nothing, 
that you might obtain Christ. That's, that's where people are at. They're holding on to what good I have done. They're holding on to whatever, but they got to realize and they got to let go that, 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 that that's not going to get them in. The only way to get in is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is. That I'm, uh, I count uh, and do count them, but dung, waste, that I, that I may win Christ and be found in him, having my own, not having mine own righteousness, because we talked about our own righteousness as filthy rags, which is of the law, but that which is through the, through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And it goes back, verse number 9 is where it's all at. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, he just said up here as touching the law, he was blameless. He did it. Those Ten Commandments that Brother Glenn brings out in his, you know, I keep the Ten Commandments. No, you don't. But he did. He says, which is of the law, my own righteousness, which is of the law. I kept it. You could not find anything in my life that I didn't keep. But I counted it because that pointed to my righteousness and my righteousness is nothing. My righteousness is vanity. My righteousness will not hold up compared to the righteousness of Christ. But that which is through faith of Christ, this is what's going to get you in. Through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You have got to believe that Jesus Christ, God, the Son of God, like we, we quote often, that he died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and he raised again the third day according to the scriptures. There's a resurrection. And in putting your faith that he is the only one that can take the sins away from you. And if you're going to have any righteousness before God, it's only through and in Jesus Christ. You've got to get to that place. And children, young people, when you go to school and they say, you know, that you got the power to be and you da-da-da-da-da, say, no. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me, but in my own power, I'm going to go to hell. In my own power, like he talked about, this flesh is going to rot, but that soul is going to go to hell. In my own power. And when the Holy Spirit deals with your heart and passes by your way as Christ passed by blind Bartimaeus, then call out to him. Jesus, save me. And again, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but you have a contrite heart, which God says he will not despise. You are sorry for your sin. You realize that you are a sinner and your sins nailed him to the cross. 
and then realize that your sins is going to send you to hell and your righteousness is filthy rags, that the only way that you're going to stand halfway, well, the only way that you're going to stand before God and get into heaven is in and through Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Everybody knows that. I like the next two. For God sent not his son into the world into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Here it is, though. He that believeth on him is not condemned. Hallelujah. I'm not condemned. When I stand before the judge, as Brother Glenn pointed out, in Sunday school, my past sins are gone. My future sins are gone. My present sins are gone because he's looking at me through the blood. I am not condemned because I have put my faith in the only begotten Son of God. But the rest of you, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the only begotten Son of God. That little baby, that little grandbaby of mine, as he gets older, he's condemned already. And until he puts his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's going to be condemned. And when you realize that you're condemned already and you stand before God and he's going to say, I don't see where you've believed. Because if you believed, your name would be in the Lamb's Book of Life. Your name's not in here. Sorry, I never knew you. Depart from me. And they cast you into the lake of fire. And your torments will go up before him forever and ever and ever and ever. And the rest of us are spending an eternity in heaven paradise, glory, whatever other adjective (laughs) she want to put on there. And we're experiencing the good things of God while you're burning in hell because you have not believed in the only begotten Son of God. You stand condemned. May today be the day that God... The Holy Spirit opens your understanding to the fact that you there is no power in yourself to come to Christ. None. I mean, to come to God. No power in yourself to, in, to have anything righteous. Let's put it that way. No righteousness within yourself. Your vanity, your whole life, it's just vanity. The best that you can do is dung. you got to realize that that it's all through Christ. And when you realize that, that you are in darkness, and he is the light, that your righteousness is as filthy rags, but his righteousness is what you need on your life, and you put your faith in Christ, and he saves you, then you will enter in to Christ. And you'll get all that comes with that. Eternal life. You have a heavenly father, but seek ye. The Bible says, I know again, Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
and all these things shall be added unto you. And in that context of Scripture, look, the food, and I keep having to remind myself, you know, the headlines, there's going to be food shortages, there's going to be this shortages, there's going to be that shortages, there's going to be that. Well, wait a minute. Who's my Heavenly Father? I keep having to remind myself, the flesh going, oh. But he, 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 he clothes the lilies of the field. He feeds the fowl of the air. I'm his child. Got to remind ourselves sometimes. That's my message today.